When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Tony Evans of The Evening Standard and Jonathan Northcroft of The Sunday Times. This is it, a season compressed into six days. On Wednesday, Liverpool must come from behind to reach Wembley at Southampton's expense. On Saturday, it's Wolves in the FA Cup. Then, the following Tuesday, Chelsea are at Anfield. Title hopes on the line. They spreading themselves too thin, Tony. Well, yeah, I mean, the, one of the problems uh, earlier on the season, when they were doing so well, there was a storm gathering, and the storm was due to the, the squad's not good enough. And the squad's never been good enough. They need to players in the summer couldn't get them because they weren't in, in the Champions League or the players of the required standards. And, of course, everyone's doing too well. And at Anfield, no-one's thinking ahead. It's like, oh, this is brilliant, this. Uh, you know, in January, we might struggle. Last de- December and January, they struggled. They struggled this, uh, you know, these two months as well. So, yeah, they need players. Uh, they're really short-handed midfields. They need a dynamic up-and-down midfielder. And we all know about the problems across the defence and the goalkeeper. So yeah, it's um, it's going to be a difficult week. Mm, you've had a you know, recent, very recently done mm. a big interview with mm. Jurgen Klopp. How did you find him? You know, he's he's sort of grown into the job over a year. He's understanding what English football was about. You know, it's encapsulated in this week, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. Um, I think he'll actually enjoy it. I mean, the thing that struck me most was just his enthusiasm. He is what you see. I mean, he, he was like that kind of German backpacker you meet when you're travelling, <laughs> where everything's you know wonderbar. But you came away feeling very very positive. Tony's right about the squad, but I think Klopp's trying to do things a different way. I think Liverpool have probably had too much spending over the years. They've had too many summers where they've tried to buy seven or eight players not of the required standard. Um, and because Liverpool don't pay the huge sort of wages or transfers, they've always been punting a little bit in the transfer market. He's trying to do something a bit different. He's trying to develop players. And I think they're just ahead of schedule this year. Well, yeah, you know, so he's a victim of his own success. Yeah. The, the problem is... Always recruitment, yeah. and you know you go back to since Fenway Sports we've come in, took us over. They've had the wrong people in the recruitment positions, and they've still got the wrong people in the recruitment positions. Mm, what about the youth side? You know, they, 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 there's a lot of emphasis now. You know, C.V. Gerrard's mm. going in to do his apprenticeship in the academy. Steve Highway is this sort of great godfather mm. figure there. Have they got enough of those kids who can come through? Because that's always it. People talk about, yes, there's one in the pipeline or three in the pipeline. They never come through. Yeah, and I actually think Klopp's reign may stand or fall by that, by that question. Mm. Um, it's, prob- it's too early to say. If you look at what happened to him at Dortmund, it took four years, I think, before things really reached a, 
a critical mass. But that Dortmund team had three academy players, had seven players he'd signed under the age of 21. Um, there are two or three really good prospects there, but what they're probably going to need is is four or five, five or six, and they will still need some signings along the way. So far, I think Trent Alexander-Arnold, to me, looks like an absolute bona fide Premier League player. The rest of them, probably a little bit too early. There's a kid called Ryan Brewster who... There's a bit of a gathering sort of excitement about... Yeah, the England under-17 yeah. player scoring lots of goals. Mm. So so a couple of years away, though, given his age. Mm. Um, I think Klopp's job is to, is to keep things going and wait to see if this generation can do it. Yeah, what about Chelsea? You know, Because Chelsea drew at Anfield and Barry McWilliams has already been on saying, do you think Chelsea need to buy in this window? Well, yeah, I mean, I uh, think they've ne they needed to buy last summer. They need to buy players who suit the way Antonio Conte wants to set up and play. And what's, what's been so remarkable about what's happened at Stamford Bridge is that in September, when they got beat by Liverpool and blown away in the mm -hmm. first half by Arsenal, he was so depressed. He was talking about finishing 10th, <laughs> you know, like they did last year. I've never seen a manager, you know, sort of evoke the previous season under a different regime so much as him. And then he had a little sulk, and then thought, what am I going to do with this squad? And he's got, it's got working beautifully. Now, I look at them and I think someone's got to be able to get those wing-backs. Someone's got to be able to exploit those three centre-halves. And no one's done it particularly well yet. Uh, Tottenham did to a certain extent. Liverpool set up to do that? Uh, Liverpool, actually, at the best, when the front four have got the movement and the, the guile that they can show, yes, they are very well set up to do that. Whether they'll do that, whether they've got the mental strength... There's a, there's a big question. Yeah, Paul Hamilton asks, if Liverpool mm. had an out-and-out -out striker, you know, and I suppose we've got to throw yeah. Sturridge into this yeah. conversation, yeah. would they be better placed for a title bid? The problem with Klopp is that he wants his striker to do so much more than be an out-and-out -out striker. So it's almost a, a, a strange question. If they had Robert Lewandowski, yeah, of course, yeah, but he needs somebody of that class who can do the pressing game but can also score the goals, and there really aren't many people like that. I think it's Mane that's the big miss at the yeah, moment. Without a doubt. Tony's spotting about Chelsea and, and their potential weaknesses. If Liverpool had Mane getting down the sides, then I'd fancy them a lot more. Well, and, and the problem with Sturridge is he's an out-striker. Yeah. You know, it's a, he's always out and, it's, um, and, 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 and Klopp's, Klopp's not having that, you know, it's one of those things where he, unless he feels physically and mentally perfect, mm. he doesn't want to play. Mm. And, uh, you know, players like that don't appeal to managers like Klopp. Yeah, Southampton have got a similar week to Liverpool. You know, they've got the League Cup semi-final on uh, Wednesday, then they're playing Arsenal in the Cup on Saturday. Are they equipped to beat Liverpool? Or, or to retain their lead, at least. Yeah, well, certainly, uh, I think almost anyone has Swansea Shields are equipped to beat Liverpool at the moment, unless they can uh, they, they can recapture some of the spark and, and perhaps be a little bit more organised. I mean, uh, uh, frankly, the centre of midfield was atrocious against Swansea. Fair was allowed to do as he likes, mm. and when, when that's happening, you, you throw it forward to Southampton, you think, it could be ugly. Mm. Talking about ugly, you were at Arsenal yesterday. Yes. Arsene Wenger, what's your read on, on what should happen to him? Well, frankly, he should get a long ban. Uh, he went absolutely ballistic on the sidelines when the, uh, the fourth official put uh, seven minutes up. And, and, it would, and they were just seven justified minutes. There'd been, a long, there'd been a long break. And then, of course, the instance in the tunnel where he pushed the, the, the fourth official twice... And, and as Wenger said, he used the sort of language that you hear every day in football. Yeah, <laughs> you do it every day in football, but you shouldn't be saying it to, um, to, to the referee and the fourth official. I, I, think, I think we're at the point where...
it's almost impossible to referee now. The game's too fast, uh, and the, the, the answer is not technology, because they can only do cut-and-dried decisions. Um, I think the only thing we can do is protect the referees and hope they get it right. And I think they should start here with a 10-game ban for Wenger, put them in the stands for 10 games, and um, and you know maybe even a stadium ban. Right, we had Granite Xhaka yeah. sent off again <laughs> nine, yeah. nine times in under three years. Michael Cox asks, is he now as much as a nuisance as an asset? Yeah, I, I don't think at the moment Arsene Wenger can trust him. You know, he, and he's old enough. He's not. He's not twenty. He's twenty-three, twenty-four. Uh, he looks to me like he, he lacks a little bit of pace. Tries mm. to make up for it by being overcommitted. Um, he's, he's an international captain. I, I think he's been a huge disappointment to Arsenal this season. He, he should. He should be the dominant presence in that midfield. He's not on the pitch enough, and and, mm. and he can't be trusted in the tackle. Well, when he come in in the summer, everyone was saying, you know, this is a fellow who's going to yeah. get four red cards and pick up ten yellows. You know, he's, he's always leaving his foot in. Uh, Fernandes Mikel is saying you know, Chelsea are doing what they did a couple of years ago. They're creating the chances, but they're taking them. How important in that context then is Costa for them? Oh, Costa's massive. I mean, he's been uh, uh, you know the player of the season so far. Uh, he's won them games which they shouldn't have won. Um, he scored goals at times when they're, they're de desperate for them, and I, I think they've coped quite well with all the kerfuffle that surrounded this uh, this mythical. Uh, you know, sort of transfer to China. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if it's a, you know, Chelsea had a um, an offer prepared for him before Christmas, to you know, sort of to lift his wages from about 150 a week to 200. He's looked at that and thought, Pogba, the going rate's about mm. 300 a week. Mm. So it wouldn't surprise me if this is the clumsiest sort of negotiation you've ever seen in your life. And is that something that we're going to have to get used to? Because yeah. football now, whether we like it or not is essentially controlled by about five agents. Yes, it is. And, and, and the, the, the players that are going to China, in particular, are examples of that. Mm. And, and, and when fans sort of question the player's ambition, I think they actually maybe aren't un understanding the situation that player might have with the agent. And you've got third-party ownership. You've got all these different issues surrounding um, the game. And, and, and it will affect the Premier League. The Premier League's been built on offering the highest wages and the biggest transfer fees. And another league's come along that, that has more money or, or at least uh, a more foolish use of money even in the Premier League so it will it will it will affect things but with, with cost the only thing I'd say is that brilliant he is he is absolutely brilliant but what Chelsea have got as well as him is Hazard and Pedro who mm. score goals and I don't think any other team has got the backup to this top striker that, that they do yeah we're, we're striking a call with quite a few Liverpool fans at the moment uh, Christopher Chan is saying can you shed any light on what on earth is going on between Jurgen Klopp and Sacco? Well, <laughs> <laughs> the Sacco myth, I don't get it. You know, he was brought in. He was brought in. Uh, Sacco, um, Emre Can and um, Markovic were going to be the three players yeah. who, you know, who, you know, changed, changed things in the Premier League and turned Liverpool into, um, you know, into contenders you know, to win the title. And frankly, None of them are good enough, and you know, uh, Brendan Rodgers didn't fancy Sacco, um, Klopp doesn't fancy Sacco, and his personality is such that he's, a, mm. you know, he causes trouble. You know, he's a pest around the training grounds, and you know, he's, he distracts and, people. And, and and that's the thing for Klopp, because for him, it's uber serious when it comes to yeah. training, working hard. He is one of those managers that. You, you buy into the group, you buy into the values, or not at all. It doesn't matter who you are. And we mentioned Daniel Sturridge. Daniel Sturridge isn't a problem 
in the way Sacco might be at training, but mm. maybe he's more individual in the way he wants to mm. do things. And mm. there's just no room for that kind of person. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of the group mentality, yeah. and Sacco never has been. And also, he's he's a liability on the pitch. Yeah, well, you see, he, he looked to always me to be a candidate for one of those China moves. Yeah, you know, nice, mm. easy little sinecure. Um, now, we're also asked about um, Sanchez at Arsenal. Mm. China, really? I can't, not with his competitive spirit. I can't see it. I mean, he's, he's, he's certainly at that age where he's got this one big contract left for himself. He's, he, he comes from you know poor background, all that sort of stuff. So money will be very important to him, and probably rightly so, given his abilities. But he is a, a top, top player who wants to, to win things. I think, I think the more likely destination would be a, a Champions League contending like a team that's really, really got a chance of winning it, a Bayern Munich or going back to, to mm. Spain, possibly. Because mm. the stats are ridiculous, aren't they? Yeah. He's been involved in 32 goals in the last mm. 33 Premier League games, 20, 20 goals in that, uh, scoring them. Uh, if Arsenal are going to be taken seriously, they've got to keep players like that, haven't they? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, he's important to them. He is, he is a problem to a certain extent, though, because he shoots too often. Mm. And he shoots from positions where he's never going to score. He shoots from way outside the box and he shoots through Forrester players. He's not the, he's not the cleverest player. He, you know, when they tried to get um, Suarez and, they, they, you know, they couldn't get him a year later, they, they got Sanchez. Mm. You'd see why um, Barcelona traded yeah. up and yeah, Arsenal yeah. got yeah. The, the worst of it. So he's good. He's very good. And Arsenal do need to keep him. But, you know, Wenger needs to have a word with him. You know, create some space and pass the ball. Don't shoot. Max Bentley asks, um, you know, he makes the point that Arsenal haven't won at St Mary's in their last five visits. Mm -hmm. So he sees that as a potential upset, in inverted commas. Where are the other upsets in this fourth round, do you think? Well, I mean, you look at you look at that Sutton United, Leeds United, and the ro the romance just makes you think possibly. I mean, Derby against Leicester. Would it be an upset if Derby won form that Leicester are in? Um, I don't know. I mean, the disappointing thing, I suppose, is there are quite a few of the big teams who have home mm. draws, like Liverpool, Wolves, and, and, and United, Wigan. They, if you flip those ties round, they might be potential. Well, if teams. Liverpool play the kids, you know, there's, there's yeah. still a chance there for, for Wolves. So, mm. I mean, it's uh, you know, it, it, it's difficult to see too many upsets, though. Mm. Mm. We talked about Leeds. You know, the whole damned United era. Mm. Um, you're a, a venerable observer of the game, Tony, let's put it like that. What's your take on, what's your read on Don Revy? And, you know, because this tie will, you know, it will go back to Sutton 1970, you know, the Dirty Leeds era. Mm. What was, what were they like? They were a brilliant side. They were fantastic sides. They were really well balanced. Uh, they attacked really well. They were brutal brutal when you attacked them and um and plays with, with great flair and they, you know and, and were mean to remember the six nil over southampton the, you know the, the six nil at Sutton, all romance of the cup was gone there they had a fatal flaw mm. and it wasn't dirty it wasn't the, the dirty it was they, they couldn't get over the line mm. in in the course of 11 years they hit the bar and doing the double when the double meant something like nine times you know they they they, they, they should be probably the team who they should have dominated the mid sixties and the mid seventies. You know, they should they should have won four or five titles. They should have won in Europe, and they, you know they should have done, got two doubles. And yet they failed. There was something about them that they just couldn't get over the line. And I think that, rather than the dirty leads thing, is the the the, the main thing that people miss about them. Yeah, it's been a bit of a basket case club mm. over the last mm. decade, really, if we're honest. But that one manager. Yeah. Has get, got it right, Gary Monk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I 
worked we we, we had a long time I, work, I watched him work at, yeah. at Swansea yeah. and he really really impressed me mm. and I couldn't believe that they got rid of him no Leeds have been the ben beneficiary of that mistake haven't they yeah, they have, and, and, and he's not just having to manage downwards at Leeds, but of course he's had to manage upwards and deal with a political situation at the club. Um, hasn't had a big budget. If you look at the squad, it's got some kind of, you know, championship stagers, your, your Woods, your Rob Greens, all that sort of stuff. Um, but he's managed to forge an identity. He's got some good young players that he's developing. He's putting a, a style on to. I find him an interesting manager. I mean, his number two's Pep Clote, isn't it? The, the, the Spaniard. And Very good. He's obviously, mm. him, and, him and this guy who didn't work together before Swansea have sort of forged a bit of an understanding and a, and a bond. And it shows us more to Gary Monk than just the traditional British manager. He sort of looks a bit differently at things. Well, I mean, it looks like it was out of the frying pan into the fire. Yeah. Um, you know, after he left Swansea where, you know, we had... You know, there were political problems behind the scenes as well, which led to yeah. him leaving. In many way, ways, it's worked out better for him because he's probably at the right level to learn and to develop and grow. Yes, it's a, it's a madhouse, that place, with the ownership leads. But, you know, he's, um, he's, he's developed a, a, a sort of management style, which perhaps he mightn't have mightn't have been able to achieve at Swansea, so I think it's worked out really well for him as well. Mm, yeah, management's you know, a bit of a fashion industry, mm. isn't it? And mm. you know, Very fashionable at the moment, you know, the two brothers at, at Lincoln. Yeah. There's a, we're getting a lot of love for them on, on here. Can they beat Brighton? Well, I mean, Brighton's such a difficult draw for them because of how well Brighton are doing. If Brighton, though, just think, you know what, it's all about the championship this year, and they might change the team. Then, then why not? Um, it's an incredible story. Those the the, the Cowleys, isn't it? They, mm. they they did amazing things with Braintree. You know, mind-boggling, really. Uh, and 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 there's something something very sort of fresh about them. And, and Lincoln to to not, you know sometimes you you saw it with Plymouth and Liverpool. The smaller team can have one good performance, but to actually do it twice to then yeah. take it switch back and, and do it again and, and see the job through is really impressive. It does give hope for PE teachers everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Manchester United, um, you know, they've got obviously a League Cup mm. semi-final, which let's be honest, they're probably home and hosed. It's over. Uh, we're still getting a lot of questions about whether they will finish in the top four. What no, do you think? no, yeah. no. Yeah. Reports of the Manchester United revival are, you know, are completely over overstated. This has been one of the most underwhelming, unbeaten runs I've ever seen. <laughs> Almost as underwhelming as Liverpool's thirteen uh, game unbeaten run under Brendan Rodgers. No, no. The, the, yeah, yeah. What's wrong uh, with them? Any well, that, team. That, that's the view from the Scouse Liberation Front. What about you? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have been impressed. I, I, I wouldn't say I'm like overwhelmed by it, but I've, I've been impressed. They look, they look like Manchester United again. I think that they're, they're flawed in, in personnel. I think Zlatan needs a lot more backup than he gets, and I think, you know, Carrick is still far too important to them. They should have a. Why you know, when Fellaini goes in, it's a different team. Why did it take Mourinho but, so long to get the Carrick thing? Well, that, that's a good, that's a good question, and he's got himself to blame mm. for not not recognising that that sooner, and also for taking Carrick out of the team in the last couple of games. Mm. But I think he, I, they do look like they've got the mentality back. Um, that they're, they're, they're playing with width, they're attacking. They're just, I, I think they're just a, Phil Jones. Phil Jones. Phil Jones has been great. Phil Jones. I'm not having Phil Jones now. The, <laughs> the, the, the woolly back Beckenbauer. <laughs> like, you know, it's a good. You know, average is everything. Great at none. Well, he looks amazing besides Smalling, anyway. I mean, he's, he's, maybe maybe we'll we don't see. maybe we don't live in an either great centre half. Yeah, we don't, looks, we don't. That's, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Martin Wall is on. How 
impressed have we been by Newcastle? You know, Rafa, you both know very well. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've done great. They had a little blip, um, and largely to do with Shelby being suspended. Mm. But you know, it's uh, the the view there was they'll be alright. He'd come back and the you know the the, the start playing well again. I think um, you know Rafa's very ambitious. Uh, there's been reports that things are unsettled up in the northeast over transfer policy, and everyone goes, "Here we go again." I don't believe it's anywhere near as bad as some people are suggesting. Uh, I think there's there's a little bit of frustration that he can't get players of the standards he wants. He's already looking forward to to, to next season and the hope they'll be playing in the Premier League. So he's, he's, he's just a good coach, Rafa. I mean, he's, mm. he's kept this run going with with what Gale and Mitrovic out, and that yeah. to me is classic Rafa's, you know. Tony, Tony will know as well. He's the detail with which he thinks about things. Mm. He's one of those coaches that finds solutions. He comes up with it in his, in his, you know, the preparation that he does. I just think, you know, to to, to keep going in those circumstances is impressive. And the way he's just galvanised the whole area, which is what you've got to do yeah. as Newcastle manager. You must have to be president of the North East. You've got to manage yeah. the manage the he, whole he place. He loves that he sort has. of thing. He does, doesn't well. he? You know, he's there. Yeah, yeah he, he knows how to. It sounds cynical of saying he knows how to work the fans. He does. But it's, you know, but he does, and it's, it just comes natural to him. Mm. Yeah, management is such a, a strange game. Now, if you look at Sam Allardyce at Crystal mm. Palace, to me, he, it looks like he hasn't recovered from the England oh, experience. Yeah, yeah. They're sleepwalking into real trouble, aren't they? Well, what was really fascinating is uh, I was at West Ham uh, 10 days ago, and, um, and obviously uh, when they played Palace, the benches at West Ham, if anyone has ever been there, uh, are like 20, 20 yards, more than 20 yards away from the sideline. So, you know, most managers are in the technical area, a long way from the staff. Billich prowls that sideline. Sam barely left the bench. And I've never seen a team, uh, a Premier League team, that needed more hands-on organisation and management than Crystal Palace that day. They were all over the place. And one of the hallmarks of Allardyce's managership, which sh showed at Sunderland, is he come in and he got them, mm. he got them organised. He stayed on the bench, and afterwards, when you know, so to, uh, in the press conference, he didn't have to bounce about him. And I thought, Oof, another one. That, I mean, let's face it, the England job is chewed up and spit out better mm. man, men than <clears> Sam. <throat> Uh, but I have a feeling that he's been regurgitated too. And, and so a few people now beginning to, you know, they've got the dead cat bounce, haven't they? So you they look do. at Swansea. Yeah. Um, Graham Lucas is asking, and I think it's probably a, a, a foregone conclusion of an answer, Swansea team of the week? Yeah, absolutely. What a performance that was. And it wasn't a fluke. It was a <clears throat> it was a good performance. It was backs against the wall at times, even though Paul Clement said it wasn't. But then they played some really good football. They broke very well on Liverpool. Mm. He looks like he's signed well. You know, Tom Carroll in particular mm. is an impressive signing. Um, added a bit of organisation. I think you can see the same happening at Hull, and that leaves a mm. real pressure on the likes of Sunderland and, and Palace and even Watford, because those two teams that we thought were a bit dead and buried, mm. Hull and Swansea, I've got a chance again. I think. Get Lorente in the team, cross yeah, the ball over yeah, to him. Yeah, yeah. Bob Bradley left him out of half of his <laughs> 10 games mm. during his tenure. What was that all about? Mm. I always wonder with Lorente whether he came over here about five years too too late. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But but you'll still score goals. Yeah. With Crystal Palace, they've got Manchester City in the cup. Now, I think silently, Sam is probably thinking, I'll oh, just get, get, get rid of the cup and we'll, we'll concentrate on things. How impressed were you with, with Man City's statement of intent against Spurs? Very. I thought the, the high press was absolutely fantastic. Mm. I thought Spurs were a bit dumb, really. I thought Spurs would go long 
trying to get behind mm. and get the ball in amongst the City defence, but you know, instead they persisted in trying to pass it out. I mean, was anyone watching what was happening? Um, you know, uh, but I thought City were fantastic. When I saw the teams, and basically Yaya Torre was a one-man midfield, I thought to myself, this is going to be a blowout. And now it turns out that uh, Guardiola, obviously uh, under a little bit of pressure, mostly from himself, mm -hmm. you know, that, um, you know, has gone and sat in the room alone for the week and come up with a way to, um, to deal with Tottenham, and it worked, and he should. They should have, they should have heard him. The suspicion is that that game will be a, an I was there moment. Yeah. Gabriel yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Was it eight minutes? Eight minutes. I, I was sort of, you know, doing the match report, trying to rein myself in a little bit. It was eight minutes. But when you see, I think you know it when you see it. I think that, that kid's special. He's, it's not just he's got a package of skills that are quite obvious, but it was his presence when he came on the pitch. Physical presence as well. He's quite a bit of a, a unit, but it was more the way that... In eight minutes, he was absolutely at the centre of every every attack that he had. You couldn't take your eyes off him. Um, he had that. He just had that kind of "I'm here to influence this game" sort of thing. Um, and I suspect, you know, one of the big problems City have had. Guardiola talked about it was not quite turning good spells into into dominance. And I think he looks like that that special player that that should let them do that. You very close. To Leicester for obvious reasons. Have you been surprised by how badly they've struggled? Quite a few people are asking that. I have. Um, I mean, and I, th I think it's probably time to, to ask questions of, of the manager, to be honest. And it was, it was refreshing to hear him admit that he was at fault at, at Southampton. But, you know, he's had £90 million to spend. Mm. Um, Kante didn't go on the 1st of September. He went before the season started. Huge Lost, but he hasn't been replaced properly. Um, I think it's almost like you look at the ingredients of Leicester last season. You know, this clearly defined way of playing, um, this this very sort of strong spirit, this chemistry, and it's been unpicked because we've gone back to the Ranieri who who tinkers with his team. Um, I interviewed Okazaki last week, who who said we're still a little bit confused as to what we're going to do without Kante. Now this is five months into That's the, damning, isn't it? It is, five months into the season. Um, and amazing as Ranieri's achievement was, and I have the fullest respect for it, I think it's only right that you have to look at what's happened this season and say he's just done a rotten job of keeping it going. Mm. Will they go down? No, no, I think they've got enough. Um, you know, the, 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 mainly because there's people queuing to go down underneath them. <laughs> yeah. you know, um, no, they're, they're far worse sides, but it, it's 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 been a very poor year yeah. for them. And you know, you, you look at uh, I think Slomani, um, he changed the balance of the attack, and Verdi's had to play a little <clears> bit deeper. <throat> I thought um, against Southampton, Verdi was still running all day. Yeah, you know, doing where he's not getting the ball he's the way not getting the, And you know, and it's. Uh, Ranieri's got to be able to find a way of getting the ball to his most prolific striker. Mm. One of the times I'm really looking forward to is, is Wickham mm -hmm. going to Tottenham. Now, Tottenham are obviously flying. You'd think there'd be one or two kids in that in the team. Is this the time to actually appreciate what a job that someone like Gareth Ainsworth yeah. does in really straightened circumstances in League Two? Yeah, funnily enough, I, I remember Rafa Benitez once saying, you know, when you talk about the best managers, I remember him saying, well, maybe the best managers in the bottom division, we just don't know mm. because it depends what they're working with. And Gareth Ainsworth's a, a great example of that. I mean, we almost take Wickham for granted now as a sort of solid league team, but 
it's a, it's a small club, it's a tiny mm. place. His energy, his, his, his sort of personality is kept that club going, produces young players quite often. You know that they're not going to sort of lie down in that tie, that they'll, they'll go there and, and, and have a go. I think they're, they're lucky to have him, and I'm, I'm surprised mm. he, hasn't, he hasn't moved, actually. Mm. And, and it's one of the things, because, I mean, I think chairman and our imagines of, imagines, uh, uh, chief executives and our imaginers have enough to look in the lower divisions and go, mm. OK, you know, this, I mean, someone like Paul Tisdale at Exeter, so, you know, all right, the table doesn't show he's doing a brilliant job, mm. but look how he's managed the, the yeah. club, and look at them, how he's managed the money. He's actually got them punching way above the weight. Mm. I think it's the same with Ainsworth. I mean, you know, they're in the they're in the playoff positions, aren't yeah. they? You know, it's, um, you know, there's a fair chance they'll go up, and I think he's done a remarkable job under the conditions. What about like, the FA Cup as a whole, Johnny? Um, you know, it has its critics. Mm. Um, you know, there are certainly you know, Eddie Howe made eleven changes when they were beaten at, at Millwall. What can be done? to emphasise how important this competition is? Maybe, you know, give a Champions League place to yeah. the winner? I, 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 I understand the thinking behind that, but I don't like it because I, I do think that you have to reward a league season mm. in, in terms of getting into Europe. I love the Cup Winners' Cup, though, by the way, as an Aberdeen fan. I wish there was still a Cup Winners' yeah, Cup, and yeah. that might that might sort of still add the luster. Uh, it's a really difficult one with the FA Cup. I mean, there's almost been a resurgence of the League Cup because... Mm. The Premier League, I think, is so big now that that Saturday, Sunday, you know, weekend Premier League is almost sacrosanct and fans get annoyed when the Premier League isn't on. It happens with internationals as well. Mm. But there's a space for midweek football and that's and, and, and the League Cup's benefited from that. And maybe, and this is, you know, I'm fairly traditionalist on, on, on things generally, but maybe the FA Cup has to look at moving to being a, a midweek competition, I'm, I'm afraid. But at the moment, there's just too much... Sort of negativity when we have a, a weekend that there's no Premier League football. Yeah, money dictates everything in football. Why not just give 20 million to the winner? Well, yeah, I mean, that money, well, 20 million would be reasonable, yeah, that's uh, be worth playing for. But I think the arse is bolted in reality. Really? I don't think I don't think we can do much to revive the competition. I think it, uh, it is what it is. You can move it to midweek, you can uh, make the Premier League teams play away from home when they get lower league opposition I still think we'll be having this debate over and over again as long as the, the cup exists and I hope it's for a long time mm. As a final thing one thing we won't be debating in years to come is what impact Wayne Rooney had on modern football You know, we were with him last mm. night at the Savoy uh, for the Football Rights Association tribute night what struck me about him in his speech was Here's a someone with an extraordinary talent, but deep down, he's just an ordinary kid. He is, and and the the strengths and the flaws of Wayne Rooney probably stem from his mm. his ordinariness. And I thought it was a great evening. I thought he he came across very genuinely, made a speech from the heart. And I think it's it's nice that evening because there's always been too much talk about what Wayne Rooney could have become. I think mm. everyone wanted the English Messi or whatever, and it didn't quite happen. But actually, when you look at those records and last night, you look at, OK, forget what he could have become, what has he become? And he's become an incredible footballer who's, who's really achieved two, two things that will stand the test of time. And he'll get appreciated yeah. more when he's retired. Oh, definitely. Sven Joran Eriksson, like, screwed him up probably right at the beginning by saying he was the white Pele. Yeah. He wasn't the white Pele. He was just a very, very good player. And he's had a brilliant career. And 
if if we can if we could look at Rooney's career in the, from the perspective of where he's achieved uh, rather than you know where he hasn't yeah. achieved, yeah. It, it's brilliant. And let's face it, what what we expect him to have achieved, not many people in the history of English football have. Mm. What struck me about him also was that there was this. You know, we talk about football as role models, which is a lot of nonsense, really. But he was a role model to younger players. Yeah. Because they're a different breed now, aren't they? They are, and he talked powerfully about the younger generation and their sort of separation from the media and, and how the two need to come together. The media probably need to do that. Um, I understand from, from how he works at England and has always worked at Manchester United that he, he, he's, he's rare in that he crosses the barriers in a dressing room. He can relate to 16, 17-year-old kids and, it, and he relates to the older pros. I don't think there's many people in any workplace that have got that ability and, and Wayne's, always, Wayne's always had that. Um, I just think, and I talked to him about this afterwards, I just don't think we're going to see the next generation of footballers have that kind of wider influence in a group that he does because everyone's a bit more individual now. Everyone's less of a team player naturally, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I mean, teams are, we we say are suffering from a lack of leadership. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, you, you see, you see sides who are down and there's a break for an injury, and everyone just stands there. You mm. know, Rooney is the sort who go round and saying, "Come on, get your act together." Mm. In that context, and as finally, I can't see him going to China. Can you? Well, no, no, I hope not. You know, it's, um, I think it'd be a. a a terrible way from to end. Um, you know, I think if if anything, he could sort of follow in like Steven Gerrard's footsteps and go to America for a while, mm. get a bit, little bit of different experience, and then come back and start looking at coaching if he wants to go that way. What I do think he'll do is be a manager. I think of that generation, he might be. Yeah, the, I think he's more he's more suited manager. than Steven to me. I agree. Mm. China, I'd like to see his career end where it began, Everton. Just a thought. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.